Oh, how I've waited to be able to share a message with you today, a message about the resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I've got so much to share with you this morning that I want us to begin by just diving right into his word. And so your Bibles are already open to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And so let's begin there in verse number 1. Paul writes and he says, Now I make known to you, brethren, the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received, in which also you stand, by which also you are saved, if you hold fast the word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. Now here, Paul says that he makes the gospel known to them. In fact, he says he makes the gospel known to them, which he had already preached and proclaimed to them before. And so Paul is not just reminding the Corinthians of the gospel in some casual, like, hey guys, just so you know, don't forget, type of manner. No, here, Paul is declaring it as though they had never heard it before. Here, he's proclaiming it as though they have never sat under this type of teaching. He's making it known as though it had never been made known to them before. And so this is my hope today. My hope today is to be able to proclaim the gospel in such a way that you experience it with the newness and a freshness and and, and more importantly, in a life-changing way. And so with this in mind, I want us to to look at what Paul writes from verses 1 through Uh, verse 20 of chapter 15. And here this morning, we're going to be unpacking five facts about the gospel. And so fact number one is that Jesus Christ died for our sins. Let's look at verse number three. Verse three says, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to, to the scriptures. You see, the death of Jesus Christ is so important that it must be the first thing that is proclaimed because it is the very foundation of a person's salvation. What I'm saying is that apart from the death of Jesus Christ, there is no salvation. See, Christ died for our sins. And that word for, in the Greek, it's this word hooper. Hooper, it means for our benefit, for our sake. It means that Christ died on our behalf or as our substitute. Listen as I read a few other places in the scriptures that help to, to clarify and give greater understanding to this reality. Places like Titus chapter 2. In verses 11 through 14, it says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men, instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires, and to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Christ Jesus. Then in verse number 14, it says, Who gave himself for us to redeem us, from every lawless deed, and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, zealous 
for good deeds. And then in other places, like 1 John chapter 1, there in verse uh, 7 through 10, he says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. By this, the love of God was manifested in us, that God has sent his only begotten Son into the world so that we might live through him. And then verse number 10 says, In this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sin. In other words, Jesus was our ransom. He died as our sacrifice. And so the first fact that we discover is that Jesus Christ died for our sins. Fact number two is that Jesus was buried and he arose from the grave. Look at verse number four. It says, and that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. Now, The burial of Jesus Christ is of utmost importance because his burial proves two significant facts. His burial proves the fact that Jesus died. No man is buried unless he is dead. And so fact number one is verifying the fact that Jesus died. Fact number two is that it proves his resurrection. The empty tomb is evidence that Jesus arose from the dead. And there's no power on earth that can bring a dead person back from the grave. Only a, a, supreme, a supreme being can do that. Only God can give life to dead matter. And so the very fact that Jesus was raised from the dead proves that God exists and it proves that he loves and he cares for his people. And so this fact is critically important when it comes to the issue of salvation. Romans chapter 10, man, you might want to find that in your Bibles today because I'm going to come back to this reference a few times. So Romans chapter 10. In Romans chapter 10, there's two verses in particular that I'd like to highlight for you this morning. And so those verses are contained in verses 9 and 10. There, Paul says that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, it says then you will be saved. For with the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. So, so two facts right from the beginning. Fact number one, Jesus Christ died for our sins. Fact number two, Jesus was buried and he arose from the dead. And then fact number three, is that there were eyewitnesses to the resurrection of our Lord. In fact, let's go to verse number 5. Verse number 5 says, and, and he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 brethren at one time, most of whom 
remain until now, but some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and we'll stop right there. Now it should be noted that that Paul does not list all of the resurrection appearances of our Lord. Now here he lists what he feels is more than sufficient examples in order uh, to, to prove his point. And so fact number three is that there were eyewitnesses to the resurrection of our Lord and that immediately leads us to the fourth fact. And the fourth fact is a strong personal account of of one who has experienced uh, an encounter with the risen lord and that's paul himself go to verse number eight and there he says and last of all as to one untimely born he appeared to me also for i am the least of the apostles not fit to be called an apostle because i persecuted the church of god but By the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace towards me did not prove vain. But I labored even more than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God within me. Now, that phrase, the phrase, one untimely born, well, that phrase is Paul's way of saying that he did not know nor did he follow Jesus when Jesus walked upon the earth. In fact, Paul didn't know or follow Jesus until after Jesus lived, died, was resurrected, and even ascended unto heaven. You see, Paul is referring to his experience on on the road to Damascus, and you can read about that in Acts chapter 9. See, before his conversion, Paul persecuted the early church. And not only did he persecute the church, he also possessed a, a strong sense of pride in who he was and, and what he had accomplished in his life. Yet, once he experienced and had the encounter with Jesus Christ, then Paul surrendered his heart. Paul gave his life. He, he, he radically left behind his old self, and then he served God with all of his strength, with all of his might, with all that he had. In fact, Paul even says, he says, I labored. In the Greek, what Paul is saying is, I worked myself to the point of complete exhaustion. In fact, he even gives credit to to his hard work, to the grace of God. To Paul, the greatest thing in all of the world was the grace of God. The undeserved favor of God that was poured out upon him. So all that Paul was and all that Paul did was by the grace of God. In fact, he even declares that for himself in verse number 10. He says, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. Now, let's go quickly now to to the fifth fact of the gospel. And this fifth fact is desperately needed by the world today. 
And that fact is that there is only one gospel that is to be preached, and there is only one gospel that needs to be believed. And, and here we find that in verse number 11. Verse number 11 says, Whether then it was I or they, so we preached, and so you believed. And, and so let me be perfectly clear. There is no other gospel. There is no other gospel than the gospel that contains the death, the burial, the resurrection of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. In fact, go back with me, if you will, to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Go back to, to chapter 1. And let's look at a verse here that begins in verse number 18. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse number 18 says, For the word of the cross is foolishness for those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. So with that in mind, now we can go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. But with that in mind, I just want to highlight the point that there are two groups of people in the world today. Two. That's it. Either you're of the group that is perishing, or you belong to the group that is currently being saved. Now, either you are headed for destruction, moving ever so downward into the grave, or you are being saved, moving ever upward into an eternal life. Those who are headed for destruction, oh, well, they're deteriorating. They're dying physically, spiritually. They're left without life. They, they, they have no hope. They have no peace. Unless you repent of your sin and, and trust and believe in Jesus, then, then not only will you have to die, you'll also have to face judgment. And in that judgment, you'll have to be faced with the reality of being eternally separated and condemned by God. Now, in the Greek, the phrases that are used here are phrases that express a continuous action. It says that you who are perishing, and then it says uh, who are being saved. And so either you are perishing either you are more and more are being gripped by the flesh being conditioned to accept a, a dying and broken world and, and and belief system or you're being saved the continuous action more and more are you being freed to walk in righteousness and, and walk in a manner that seeks to glorify god in all that you do so those who are perishing are currently under the wrath of God. But those who are being saved are the ones that get to experience a richness and a fullness of life. Now, the word salvation and being saved, you need to understand that there are three experiences of salvation. 
or you could uh, call them three stages of salvation, or I've used from time to time, I've said the three tenses of salvation. Uh, Let me unpack that for you. There is the once and for all experience of salvation. Uh, There is the past tense expression of salvation. That is the experience that had happened sometime in the past. It is the initial act of faith that you put your heart, your life into the hands and to the control of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It's receiving Christ into your life as Lord and Savior. That is a once and for all experience. It means that you have been saved, past tense, you have been saved from sin, from death, and from hell. But it also means that you've been given the assurance of heaven. So, so when you put your faith and trust in Jesus, sometimes in the past, then that is a once and for all experience. And so that's the initial stage of salvation. And then there's the present stage of salvation, the present tense, or or the continuous experience of salvation. It is the experience that is occurring, hopefully, in in your lives right now. In our current verse, it says it this way. It says, to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. This is describing God's day-by-day working in the life of a believer. Now Paul will write later to the church in Corinth in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 16 through 18, Paul will say, but whenever a person turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all, with unveiled faces, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, then he says, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord the Spirit. This present stage of salvation, it means that that is the Holy Spirit working in and through us. He's working within us in order to conform us into the image, into the likeness of Christ himself. It's the Holy Spirit working within us, equipping us to live our lives in a way that glorifies him and to witness to other people about his glory. So this present tense of salvation is something that is occurring day by day, hour by hour, minute by minute, and moment by moment. So there is a past tense, once and for all experience of salvation. There is a present tense, an ongoing working of salvation. And then there is to come a redemptive experience of salvation, a future tense reality of salvation. This is something that will occur sometime in the future. As Paul writes in Romans chapter 13, there at the end of verse number 11, he says, For now salvation is nearer to us than when we believed. This 
future reference to salvation points us to the day of redemption. It is the day when Jesus Christ will usher in his kingdom. It is the day when God will create the new heavens and the new earth. It is the day when sin will be completely extinguished and removed and the believer will be glorified. Oh, what a beautiful day that will be. That is a salvation that we can long for, that we can look forward to, that we can strive for. Let me ask you a question this morning. Are you currently headed for destruction or are you currently being saved? In other words, what difference does Jesus Christ and his resurrection make in your life? Do you believe the greatest news in all of the world is that Jesus Christ is alive? He lives. It's the greatest news known unto man. In fact, in raising Jesus from the grave, God offers us forgiveness. He gives us guidance in the unchanging truth of his word. He gives us an everlasting joy. He gives us life, meaning, purpose. Ultimately, he gives us victory. It is therefore I urge you with all of my heart to lift up your head, to turn your eyes, focus them upon our Lord and Savior, and with your heart and with your life proclaim Him as Lord so that you might be saved, that you might experience the once and for all stage of salvation so that God can continually be working in you So that one day you could look forward to the day of complete redemption. May you, with all of your heart and with all of your life, lift up your voice and proclaim with the millions of angels that are in heaven the words of Revelation chapter 5, verse number 12. There they they gather and they proclaim, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might, honor and glory and blessing. Man, can your heart, can your life declare, Worthy is the Lamb. I'm telling you, the theological issue about the resurrection is not a minor detail. This is hugely significant because either Jesus Christ is alive or Christianity is a lie. It's either one. Which is it? Which one do you believe? Go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Because right here, before we get to verse number 12, we need to understand that the city in Corinth, and the church, they, there were people that were denying the truth of the resurrection. And, and if you look at verse number 12, you're going to find the problem that I believe triggered the writing of this chapter. And so look at verse number 12. It says, Now if Christ is preached 
that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? And so what's happening here to deny the resurrection of the dead is to deny the resurrection of our Lord. And so to deny the resurrection of Jesus is to destroy the entire basis of our Christian faith. The Christian faith is not based primarily upon the teachings of Jesus, nor is it based primarily on the miracles of our Lord. It's not even based primarily upon His compassion. It's not even based primarily upon His death. No, the Christian faith is based upon all of those things culminating in His resurrection. Therefore, if you don't have the resurrection, then you have then destroyed everything else. Paul understands this. That's why he continues to say, look at verse number 13. That's why he says, but if there is no resurrection of the dead, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is vain. Your faith also is vain. Moreover, even, I'm sorry, moreover, we are even found to be false witnesses of God because we testify against God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise if, in fact, the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If we have hoped in Christ in this life only, we have a, of all men more to be pitied. Here, Paul says that there are six things that would just crumble, fall apart, be in shambles, if Jesus Christ did not rise from the dead. He says, if Christ has not been raised, in verse number 14, he says, then our preaching is in vain. He also says, then if he has not been raised, then our faith is in vain. Uh, to be in vain means it's, it's worthless, it's, it's useless. Verse 15, he says, if Christ has not been raised, then we would be false witnesses. If Christ has not been raised, then according to verse number 17, we are still guilty of our sins. In verse 18, he says, not only are we still guilty of our sins, then those who have died believing in Jesus are actually perishing. He says, if Christ has not been raised, in verse number 19, then we are to be pitied more than anyone else in the world. <laughs> but the good news is, Jesus Christ is alive. Therefore, our preaching is not in vain. Yeah, our faith is not useless. We are true witnesses. We have the freedom and the forgiveness of our sins, and the dead in Christ have eternal life with Christ. We are victorious because He lives. You see, without the resurrection, 
then the death of Jesus Christ becomes either the heroic death of a misguided martyr or or the pathetic death of a deranged madman or it's just the execution of a fraud. And none of those options can do anything to help us. (laughs) But there's glorious news because Paul continues. Look at verse number 20. He says, but now Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who are asleep. Because the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we can receive the forgiveness and the freedom of our sins. The debt has been paid. Salvation is made possible for those who believe in Jesus. Let me ask you, did you know that uh, the resurrection is mentioned about 104 times in the New Testament? More than 100 times the resurrection is is mentioned. It is a profound and prominent point of teaching in all of the apostles' preaching in the book of Acts. I mean, we see it from the very beginning in Acts chapter 1. Immediately after Judas betrays our Lord and then he goes and and he hanged himself, it became necessary for for them to find Judas' replacement. And I want you to listen to the qualification of who that person would be that would would replace Judas. We're told in Acts chapter 1, verses 21 and 22, it says, Therefore, it is necessary that of the men who have accompanied us all of the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning with the baptism of John until the day that he was taken up from us, one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. So, so a key point of issue in order to, to become uh, one, one of the apostles would, would be that they must be a witness to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I mean, why was this so important? I believe it's because the rex- resurrection was and is, continues to be, and will always be a key proclamation of the church. Belief in the resurrection is both essential and it is foundational. As we gather to to worship, even as we're we're gathering to worship in in remote places right now, in our homes, in our living rooms, in our bedrooms, listening in our cars, on our way to work, a break at work. As we're gathering to worship, we gather around the resurrection. It is the core issue of our faith. So much so that you cannot be a Christian and not believe in the resurrection. Oh, I'll say that again. You cannot be a child of God and not believe in the resurrection of our Lord. And I'll go back to Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10 makes that ever so clear. 
says that if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. See, that belief in his resurrection is essential. So confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, believing in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then you will be saved. Salvation is predicated on the belief in the resurrection. And so the resurrection of Jesus has massive implications. There is no Christianity without the resurrection. And there's no Bible without the resurrection. There's no hope. There's no peace. There's no forgiveness without the resurrection. And so we're left to consider what do we do in light of the resurrection? What is the response of your life as a result of the resurrection of Jesus Christ? And so I want to share with you one final passage. I think it'll be one final passage. We'll see. But, but one other passage in Scripture. And so turn with me, if you would, to Acts chapter 17. As we begin to bring this uh, to a conclusion, I want to show you in Acts chapter 17, and this was the day in Paul's life when Paul was, was preaching in Athens, and he was preaching about what the apostles always preached about, and that was the resurrection. So in Acts chapter 17, Beginning in verse number 32, it says, Now, when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some people began to sneer, but others said, We shall hear you again concerning this. So Paul went out of their midst, but some men joined him and believed. So, so here's, here's my final thought. There are three possible responses to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. In Acts chapter 17, we see those three responses in these verses that I just read. So those responses are, you can either mock the resurrection, you can postpone making a decision about the resurrection, or you can believe. So you can mock the resurrection. In verse number 32 of Acts chapter 17, it said, some began to sneer. You can postpone making a decision about the resurrection because verse 32 says, uh, but others said, we shall hear you again concerning this. They weren't convinced. They weren't truly convicted. Uh, they were somewhat interested and intrigued by the conversation and thought, well, you know, perhaps we'll, we'll, we'll have this conversation. So, so what did they do? They, they postponed a decision. But then in verse number 34, some individuals joined and, and believed. So let me be clear. You, you mock the resurrection of our Lord by living your life completely oblivious or indifferent to the fact that Jesus Christ lives today. That's how you mock Him. Perhaps you're not at the, the mocking stage you're, you're not sneering and, and, and being outright 
joking or critical uh, to the resurrection. Perhaps you're, you're neither indifferent or oblivious to the fact that Jesus lives. It's just that for you, you're not ready to, to make that decision and to commit your life unto him today. You're in danger because you're postponing a decision. And the reason why you're in danger, as we've been walking through the book of Amos, we begin to see in Amos chapter 8 and Amos chapter 9 that there can come a point in life where God will just turn you over to your sin and say, fine, have your way. And so to continue to postpone making a decision for the Lord is to run the great risk of, of maybe not even having any opportunity to submit and to surrender your life unto Him. So, so make no mistake, there is great danger in postponing a decision for Jesus Christ. My prayer for you today is that you would no longer postpone what you know needs to be done. And that you might submit and to surrender your heart and life to the risen Lord. And this reminds me of a poem that I, that I once came across. The name of a poem is called Tomorrow. It's written by Edgar Guest. And this is what he says. He says, he was going to be all that immortals should be tomorrow. No one should be kinder or braver than he. Tomorrow. A friend who was troubled and weary he knew, who'd be glad of a lift and who needed it too. On him he would call and see what he could do tomorrow. Each morning he'd stack up the letters he'd write tomorrow. And thought of the folks he would fill with delight Tomorrow was too bad indeed he was busy today and hadn't a minute to stop on his way more time he would have to give others he say tomorrow the greatest of workers this man would have been tomorrow the world would have known him had he ever seen tomorrow but the fact is he died and he faded from view and all that he left here when living was through, was a mountain of things he intended to do tomorrow. Friends, don't delay making the most important decision of your life. Submit, surrender your heart and life to our risen Lord. So you can mock the resurrection, you can postpone making a decision or you can believe in the glory of the resurrection. Remember Romans 10. Romans 10, again, says that if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with the heart that one believes and resulting in righteousness, and it's with the mouth that he confesses, resulting in salvation. I want you to notice Romans chapter 10, verse number 9, states that we must confess Jesus is Lord. It does not tell us 
to confess that Jesus is Savior. All too often, we use those words interchangeably, but they're not the same thing. You will find in the Word of God, Lord, specifically used in reference to Jesus, you'll find Lord in the New Testament some 600 times. In the entire scriptures, in all of the Bible, you'll find Jesus as Lord more than 7,000 times. When it comes to identifying Him as Savior, in the New Testament, we see it listed some 24 times. In the entire Bible, it's around 37 times. Which means in the New Testament, for every one mention of Jesus as Lord, I'm sorry, for every one mention of Jesus as Savior, there are at least 25 references to Jesus as Lord. In all of the Bible, for every one mention of Jesus as Savior, there are at least 189 references to Him as Lord. Have you ever wondered why we put so much emphasis as Jesus uh, as Savior rather than emphasizing Him as Lord? I mean, could it be it's because we're much more comfortable with the benefits of salvation than we are with the requirements of submission? I want to make it perfectly clear this morning. That Jesus cannot be your Savior until He is first and foremost your Lord. In order for Him to be your Savior, then you must repent of your sins. You must repent and receive Him as Lord of your life. Now, that word repent or repentance is not very well received or encouraged these days. It seems as though there aren't a lot of sermons being preached on repentance in churches today. The sad thing is there's going to be a lot of sermons proclaimed today that are going to fail to even include a message of repentance. But while repentance might be missing in a lot of sermons preached in our churches today, I assure you that repentance is not missing from the Bible. In fact, there are 969 references to repentance that are found in the Scriptures. Think about it. I mean, going back to the Old Testament and some of the most uh, recognizable stories, Noah preached repentance in his generation. But, but, but his generation failed to, to repent, and they died. Jonah preached repentance uh, to the Ninevites. They repented and lived. Now Jesus also preached repentance. In fact, the very first message our Lord ever proclaimed was the message of repentance. Matthew chapter 4. Verse number 17 says, From that time Jesus began to preach and to say, Repent, 
for the kingdom of God is at hand. So not only was the very first sermon that Jesus preached, not only was that about repentance, so was his last. The very last message that Jesus gave us was not the Great Commission. The very last message that Jesus gave us came after the Great, Commiss- the Great Commission. It was a message that was given to us through the Apostle John, and it was a message given to the church. It's contained in Revelation chapter 3, verse number 19. And it says, Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. Therefore, be zealous and repent. The first and the last message that our Lord and Savior proclaimed was a call to repentance. Would you take a moment today Would you spend time in the presence of the Almighty, confessing your sin, crying out unto Him, asking for forgiveness? Would you believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead? And would you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord? Would you confess that He is your Master? He is your King? You would submit and surrender your everything unto Him. Oh, how wonderful would it be that on this Resurrection Sunday that you yourself could experience the resurrection of going from death unto life by putting your faith and trust in Jesus. And finally, for those of you who already believe, the salvation has already occurred in your life. You've experienced that once and for all encounter with Jesus, and you're currently experiencing the day-to-day working of salvation in your life. I want you to be encouraged this morning because you have been forgiven. Your sin has been justified. Your life is now being sanctified until that day when you will be forever glorified. With that in mind, go. Live a life that glorifies Him. Go and seek to make His glory known among the nations. Use this day as an opportunity to renew your energy, your excitement, your enthusiasm, your willingness to share the good news with a lost and dying world. Because more than some vaccine for the coronavirus, more than our world needs a vaccine for for the coronavirus, our world needs Jesus Christ. May you, my friend, be the messenger of the good news. Don't delay. Don't postpone. Reach out. Do whatever it takes to take the good news to a lost and dying world. May you know I love you. I miss you. I long for us to be reunited in an in-person experience. But until then, I will continue to pray for you. I'll continue to pray that you will use this time to to pour into the Word of God, to pour into your personal devotion to God, and to pour into your families 
love them, lead them, honor them. Have fun with them today. Let's pray. Father, thank you for today. Thank you for Jesus Christ, for his life, for his death, and for his resurrection. Help us to put our faith and trust in you. May today be a day of salvation. For those who believe, may the day be a day of renewed excitement and love for you and a willingness to go and to love and to serve this world. God, help us today. May you be glorified in all that we do and all that we say. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. All right, church. May God bless you. May God go before you to lead you, behind you to protect you, beneath you to sustain you, and beside you to befriend you. Do not be afraid. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit will always be with you. So don't be afraid. Go. Glorify God and seek to make his glory known. Amen. I will see you next time, church.